money and in movement with our finances and with our futures giving to God is good passages in scripture that we come to and we've got to work really hard to see something for ourselves to find what was being said then that still affects us now uh, take for example our current daily devotional that I know you all read every single day at eight o'clock yes don't say yes unless you actually read it. This is a place of truth. I know you do because we talk about it. Anyway, so, you know, we're working through the Song of Solomon. It's different. We've got to work really hard to find something. What is going on here in this uh, beautiful Hebrew love poetry? What does that do for me uh, day by day? So we're going to work a little bit harder uh, with Song of Solomon to find something really practical for our day to day and stop it just being information presentation. Uh, there are other passages like today, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 11, that Anna just read for us, where it is unbelievably clear, <laughs> and it gives me a much easier week, because we could just read this a couple of times, and uh, it says what it says, and it means what it means, and we should do <laughs> what we read, and it's so very applicable to life here for many, many people. It's all about money and movement. It's about our finances and our futures. And, you know, in almost 10 years here, uh, Robin and I have met loads of people, uh, some who've come to Bahrain for primarily financial reasons from all over the world. Uh, and we've met people who've come here because they love to travel. And let's be really straight, neither of those things are inherently wrong or sinful. And so a message a passage about money and movement, about finance and, f and the future is perfect for a community like ours because it's just so very easy for us to relate to. It's just a part of living in Bahrain, away from home uh, for most of us. And just FYI <laughs> for the people who think we can't or shouldn't ever talk about money in church. It's a taboo. It's not it's just a fact of life. Jesus talked about money a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. He often used money as a topic to illustrate bigger truths, broader truths, because it's just something that we all get. It's literally yes, but we all understand it. Uh, we all get it. It's something we all understand, and it's such a, a useful tool to explain and to illustrate uh, bigger picture principles. So, all of that to say, passages like this uh, where money is mentioned shouldn't make us feel uncomfortable. Uh, we shouldn't skip over them because you can't talk about money in church. Uh, it's not a taboo. It's not <laughs> a sign that whoever's preaching and teaching that week wants to buy a new car. So I need to bump up the offer. It's not, it's not a sign of anything other than it's there in the text. It's a fact of life. It's addressed so many times. So as we're just routinely and regularly walking through God's Word, like now, when it comes up, we don't need to fear. We don't need to feel all anxious. Oh, he's going to talk about money. You don't need to leave. We've got another church where money's just never talked about. It's fine. We don't need 
to make it into a bigger deal than it is. So, uh, if you've not done so already, I'd love you to join me in 1 Corinthians, uh, as Anna read. We're at the start of chapter 16, and next week, uh, we're going to finish this big, bold letter and uh, then move on to other things. So, uh, we're going to read this morning, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 11, talking about money and movement. And let's read again together verses 1 to 4 and talk about money. So, with regard to the collection for the saints, please follow the directions that I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside some income and save it to the extent that God has blessed you so that a collection will not have to be made when I come. Then, when I arrive, I will send those whom you approve with letters of explanation to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will go with me. So, he is answering a question, uh, not for the first time in this letter, even though we're nearly at the end, not for the last time. He's answering a question put to him about financial giving. Uh, Verse 1 says, with regard to, in answer to your question. We don't know the specific question. Uh, We do know it's about giving financially. He's talking about the collection for the saints giving money. His answer, very simply, follow the directions I gave to the churches of Galatia. And thankfully for us, he reiterates those in verse 2. And he said before a couple of times that consistency is key. He's talked about gifts and said, look, uh, how you use them in church. And, you know, look, did, did God's word come just to you? Let's make sure that churches are generally doing the same things. And elsewhere, uh, speaking about giving, he, Paul uses some very rich theological words. He talks about fellowship, uh, service, giving as, as grace, uh, a blessing to others. It's a divine service. Here in 1 Corinthians 16, it's much more simple uh, and it is much more practical. And again, wonderfully for us, very, very helpfully for us, he doesn't just throw out these big, broad abstract ideas. You should give. You should give what? When? How? To whom? Where? It gets very, very specific. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside some income and save it to the extent that God has blessed you so that a collection will not have to be made when I come. So let's unpack this a little bit. So he says, on the first day, that's Paul's way of saying, he's talking about when the church gathers, which for us is is this, here, now, Friday morning. And what he's really saying is, your giving should be regular, and it should just be part of your routine. Because the most uh, secure and stable routine in the life of a believer, something that's not optional, is the gathering of the saints. So when Paul says, look, on the first day, he means when you gather. And he's assuming that they're definitely going to gather. So as regularly as you gather, regularly give. Give as part of your regular rhythms and routines. As regularly as you go to gather with the church, give. And he says, each of you. This is not just a dedicated few people. Each of you, remember he's writing to a church, a bunch of people who have claimed Christ as Lord and Savior, profess to be a believer. Each of you 
should set aside some income and save it to the extent that God has blessed you. Now, there is no fixed amount to be given. There is no entrance fee on arrival. There are no membership fees where you sign a particular document and commit to giving the church X amount of dinars, dollars, or rupees every week. Uh, He says, we're all called to give a portion of what God has blessed us with financially back to him for his people and his work. And as we've said with gifts, the, 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 the first, the primary arena for that is church. And a good benchmark, a, a, a starting point, if you're totally unsure of what to set aside, is the Old Testament tithe of 10%. But what we should say, it's really important to say, is that this is not legalistic anymore. It's not 10% of your gross income or else. You're not bringing curses upon yourself if you don't. Show me your pay slip and then evidence what you're putting in the bag every week. It's, it's a good starting point. It's a good ballpark figure. Uh, it's not legalistic anymore. Think about the lady, uh, two small coins that Jesus talks about. There's no fixed amount, but it's to the extent that God has blessed us. So the Old Testament 10% tithe thing is a guide. It's a good starting point, but it's not a rule. We give to the extent that God has blessed us. Why are we giving regularly and routinely? Why not? Yeah, you know. I'll do it once at Christmas, maybe in the summer, possibly at Easter when I'm feeling really faith-filled. Give you a couple of times. Why do we do it regular? He says, so that a collection will not have to be made when I come. And again, in the 10 years, almost 10 years or so since Robin and I have been part of the church, we've very, very rarely, maybe once or twice, had to stand or have somebody stand before you and say, look, this has happened. Please help us out financially. And that's a great thing because, praise God, the giving is so regular that when stuff pops up, either the very mundane, ongoing, unforeseen expenses of the church or when something extraordinary happens, there is regular income to meet those needs. So we are, and the Corinthians were, Paul is saying, never going to be caught short as a community if we're giving to God regularly. There's no need for special collections if there's regular giving. And so the point of what he's saying here is all of us are called to give, not just a select few, those who take their faith super seriously. All of us are called to give, and we're called to be organized, in that giving, regular in that giving, and it's, it's relative to what God has blessed you with. So if you have a great month financially, give, you can give more, give a greater amount. If you win 8 million dinars somehow, and you put 5 BD in that week, that's not going to feel right, is it? It's not proportional to what God has blessed you with. But on the flip side, if your car dies, your house is hit by lightning and your landlord won't fix it, says it's an act of God, so it's on you. Your kids need new school uniforms because they won't take it off when they get home and they insist on playing in it and now it's ruined. Or your cat needs emergency surgery. You're not under law to give a certain fixed amount to the church, to God, to his people every month. So don't beat yourself up about that. 
this is not a contractual giving agreement that we enter into when we join a church. Because you know, and I know, you're going to come to resent that. If you have to give 100 dinars a month, when payday comes around, you're not going to want to do that because it's, 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 it's a contract. It's an obligation. You have to do it because you said you'd do it, so I guess I'll do it, but I don't want to do it. You're not going to enjoy giving. You're not going to arrive on a Friday and throughout the week, to whatever you do in the week, with one another. You're not going to arrive to those things and feel like, yeah, I'm contributing here. You're going to think, ugh. I can't believe I have to give these clowns some of my money because I said I would. But don't beat yourself up is the point. If, you, if you're giving a little bit less one month because life demands it, don't beat yourself up. It's not a contract anymore. Have a plan. Do your best to stick to that plan. But be confident. Be secure in the knowledge that you're not bringing curses upon yourself because you missed the mark by 10 BD once three years ago. Uh, for us... For Robin and I, we great time to walk in. Uh, we have a, we give a, a pretty fixed amount every month uh, because it fits our budget. We we write down well like a plan. We write down what we earn. We're gonna give in proportion to that. It's a pretty fixed amount every month because it fits our budget. Uh, the majority of it, to be really honest, the vast majority of it goes here to the church the community that we're a part of, and a little bit goes to a couple of people in a couple of places. Uh, but we try, and, we try our best to, to do our giving on payday. But we don't stress if it's a day late. And we find that when we give, as soon as we get, there's no temptation to get a week into the month or two weeks into the month, and then I've forgotten. Oh, oh look, we're X amount up this month. I guess I'll just keep it. There's no temptation if you just do it as soon as you're paid. Uh, and just, again, FYI, we do our giving via benefit pay because there's nothing legalistic about you have to put cash in a bag. We're called to give. And the most convenient way for me to do it is on payday, just a couple of presses and it's, it's done. There's no legalism about you have to give this much on this day via this method. And over the years, uh, for us, giving financially went from something, I'm going to be really honest, that we just did, because Scripture tells us to, and I particularly enjoy it, especially when we had little children in nappies and all the stuff that you've got to buy when you've got little people in your life. Uh, we did it because we read it in Scripture, something we're commanded to do, uh, contribute financially. Each of you should as Paul just said, you know, we come, we sit on the seats, we enjoy the space. Our kids are in kids' church. We enjoy the worship. We enjoy hearing it in a, a clear and audible way. We consume what the church is, is putting out, so we should contribute to it. And we did that. And then over time, it went from something that we did because we should uh, to something that we do now because we want to. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Just checking. Uh, and about eight years ago here, if, if you've been here longer, if you've been here that long, uh, eight years ago, I lost the job that I had here, and we still gave. Because we'd committed to do that, we decided to do that, and honestly, that was really, really difficult. But we wanted to, so we carried on giving in that period between regular uh, gainful employment. And that was, that was a huge deal for us. And I'm telling you this because it really 
changed our view of giving, of sacrificial giving. And we've seen God, in the last few years, use our giving to change us as people, to change our attitudes to finance and money, where it comes from, who it really belongs to. And we've seen God use our giving to positively impact the community here that we're a part of. That's just where we're at uh, with our giving. And so after these pretty clear instructions, uh, Paul says, look, when I arrive, uh, we'll send off this gift to Jerusalem. It's going to go with other people, which I think is really important as well. The integrity of the giving really increases uh, if you know that multiple people are going to look after it. And it's not necessarily Paul, uh, just in the same way that I don't count the offering or balance the books here. There's integrity in having multiple people involved uh, in the finance and uh, it's more confident in your giving. If you know, I'm not leaving church with a big bag of money every week, I think you're more likely to do it. If you know that the benefit pay doesn't go into my bank account, I think you're more likely to give because there's accountability in multiple people being involved uh, in the finance. And Paul says, look, uh, we'll, we'll send it off and maybe, maybe I'll go with it, maybe not. It's not essential that Paul is the leader, the teacher, the guy. It's not essential that Paul is the finance guy as well. And so one really interesting thing to consider here, not, not the main point, but you know, did, did they do this? Did they follow through and give? Uh, there's a few verses in a few places. Yeah, they probably did. They probably did give after a few more passionate discussions and points to be made by Paul. So for you and for me now, if you are not in the regular habit of giving financially, contributing, but you consume all the time, please don't be a Corinthian and make us escalate this. Like This is really clear. Let's do it. Let's not wait until we dispatch somebody else to get really personal and one-on-one with you about your giving. We don't need or want those passionate discussions and confrontations about your consumption but lack of contribution. Again, so to put the point here in verses 1 to 4, all of us are called to give. We should be organized, regular in, in our giving, and it's proportional, it's relative to what God has blessed us with. And I think what is really, really significant here is just how matter-of-fact this is, how black and white, how straight this is, and how consistent it is with what he said to other groups as well. You know, weekly, monthly, when you gather, as you gather, set some money aside, give, contribute. As the Lord has prospered you, there is no pressure. There are no gimmicks or games. There's no uh, emotional manipulation. It's just so matter of fact, so straight, it's so black and white. There is a need to be met, off in Jerusalem for the Corinthians. We have needs weekly, monthly, yearly. There are needs to be met, and the Corinthians had the means, and that is exactly the same for us. There are, there are weekly, monthly, annual needs to be met, and we have the means. Amen? You see, talking about money in church is not that bad. It doesn't need to make us all feel really uncomfortable. 
And then in verse 4, when Paul says, oh, maybe I'll go with it, maybe not, he really transitions just well into talking about movement. So you should give. Let's get this gift ready. Let's give regularly. When I come, we'll arrange its distribution. Maybe I'll go with it. And then in verses 5 to 11, he talks about movement, about travel, about his future. So let's read uh, those verses together. So maybe I'll go with you, but... Uh, I will come to you after I have gone through Macedonia. For I'll be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you can send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now in passing since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a door of great opportunity stands wide open for me, but there are many opponents." Now, if Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear among you, for he is doing the Lord's work, as am I too. So then, let no one treat him with contempt, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So talking about his future, he's saying, maybe I'll go with the gift, maybe not, but I am going to come see you. I do want to come see you after going through Macedonia. Uh, Macedonia, in this place at this time, was kind of a broader region, uh, not how we would find it on a map nowadays. And he's talking about church communities at Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, and Berea. He wants to visit others as well. And he says, maybe I'll stay with you. Maybe I'll even stay for the winter. And this is really difficult <laughs> for those of us that like to plan, that like to talk about, are you traveling? Are you going anywhere? When are you going? When are you coming back? Maybe, maybe I'll go, maybe not, maybe I'll spend the winter, maybe not. A little bit of uncertainty in our future plans is all right. <laughs> that is just as true for me as anybody. I love a plan. I like to know where we're going, when we're going, how we're going, for how long we're going. Maybe I'll stay, maybe I'll go in the winter, maybe not. And he says, but I do want to come see you so that you can send me on my journey. And he says the same thing for Timothy as well. Wherever I'm going, whenever I'm going, you can send me on my way. And it's quite a technical uh, term that he uses. He's talking about not literally just kind of dispatching somebody, but sending somebody with, uh, with food, with money, with traveling companions, with all the provisions and protections that you would need to make a safe and successful arrival uh, to wherever you're going in this place and at this time. Obviously, it's different for us now. We book a ticket, we go to the airport, and we leave. A group from church doesn't accompany you there, pay for your ticket, here's some snackies for the plane. It's very, very different for us, but this would have meant something very specific uh, to the Corinthians. And he says, look, I don't want to rush through. I want to spend time together. I don't want to visit you in passing. And I think the key thing here in this fairly long passage about travel is when he says, look, maybe I'll do this, maybe not, if the Lord allows. Lord willing. How many times in a week do you hear that? Lord willing, I'll do that. <laughs> it means something very, very different here, scripturally. It's not a, it's not a, a conversational filler. It's not a throwaway remark to put on the end of something, Paul is genuinely saying, I would like to come see you all. I want to spend time with you if the Lord allows. Maybe I'll come now. Maybe I'll come later. Maybe I'll even stay for an extended period of time if 
the Lord allows. I'd like to come. We'll see what God has planned for me. And he says there in verse 8, I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. And he's still in that, that Jewish upbringing frame of mind. He's, he's breaking up the year by Jewish festivals. Much like uh, our transatlantic cousins break up the year by all these holidays that I've never even heard of. Like Labor Day. Thanksgiving. Like all these holidays that are very particular and peculiar <laughs> to one, one part of the world. Paul is breaking it up. It doesn't mean that he's still a practicing Jew. He's just Pentecost is what he's grown up with. So he's breaking up the year by what he knows, like Thanksgiving and the like. Uh, and he says, well, I'm going to stay here until Pentecost because there's such a great opportunity for ministry. There's also loads of, of opponents. And if you've read anything about Paul ever before, you know he quite liked a challenge, let's say. So he's never going to leave Ephesus if he can see there's something worth staying for. And then he, he kind of rounds us off and says, look, uh, Timothy comes, take care of him, dispatch him as you would me, because I really want to see him, send him on his way with the food, the money, the provisions, and stuff like that. But the point of this part of our text is really clear. <laughs> and it's much to the annoyance of some people, and I definitely put myself in that, when it comes to travel, when it comes to your plans for the future, a little bit of uncertainty is all right. You don't need to have the next five years of your life planned out to the day. And it's not a huge failure if those don't come to fruition. <laughs> Again, in the nearly 10 years that we've been here, we've met some people uh, who, you know, you strike up some chit-chat, where you're from and what you're doing here. Where do you live? Like, how long do you hope to stay? <laughs> there are some people that we've met and they're like, oh, well, we're going to be here for two years, three months, two weeks, a day, and about six hours. We're leaving on the 10 a.m. flight in three years' time. And you just think, oh, my gosh. Like, I wish I hadn't have asked. <laughs> like, you don't need that level of detail planned out for the next five years. A little bit of uncertainty is all right. And I think lots of us, and again, I definitely include myself in this, we need to learn to be comfortable being a little bit uncomfortable about the future. Taking ownership of it, holding on to it all, planning this, 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 so down to the last 20 minutes is not healthy for us. Because if it doesn't happen, we feel like we've failed. And it's not the scriptural example of how we plan. Anyway, we need to accept that, yes, planning is good. Jesus talks about it. You know, if you're going to start a project, who doesn't make a plan and work out if you've got enough time and money and resources? Who doesn't plan? So planning is good, but seeking God's will for your plans is even better. You know, look, I'd love to come. I might stay, might go, maybe, 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 if the Lord allows. And this kind of brings to the fore a couple of groups, a couple of groups of people. Maybe you've met them. On the one hand, we've got super planners, you know, the two years three months, a week, and a day, people, versus some people on the other side, and I mean this with all love and respect. <laughs> in context, let's not chop this out of the recording. All they ever do is pray about stuff. There's never a plan. And then Jesus says planning's good, so we're, we're not going heretical. They never, they never plan anything. We'll just pray about it. And if you <laughs> make a plan, you're not as spiritual as the prayers because all they're doing is praying and it's obviously all they're doing uh, is planning but why not why can't we do both 
Why can we not make a plan for the future, hold it lightly, and, and pray about it? You know, there's a passage that I love to point both groups towards uh, in Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, we read of a plot. There's a plot against God's people. Uh, they're going to come, they're going to fight God's people in Jerusalem. And they're going to try and confuse God's people, take over. And then in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9, we read this. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard to protect against them day and night. They're planning. They're doing stuff. They're setting a guard. They're making plans. I'll stay here until Pentecost. Maybe I'll come to you. Maybe I'll come later. They're, They're making plans. And they're praying about it. And it's a little bit cheesy, but I think it's true. It's that old saying of you plan like it all rests on you, but you pray about stuff like it all rests on God. Like It's all right to do both. It is good to, to, to pray about stuff deeply and fervently, but it is also good to make plans. We read in Proverbs, there are many plans in a person's mind. It's definitely me. There are many plans. <laughs> it's the counsel of the Lord that will stand. And again, just, from, just for me, it's probably a good thing that all of my plans don't come to fruition. There are many plans in a person's mind. Some of them are terrible. It's the counsel of the Lord that will stand. And so the big idea here, kind of the overarching point for you and for me is we move towards the end of 1 Corinthians. And we are very, very close to the end of this letter. In money and in movement, with our finances and with our futures, giving to God is good. Giving to God is a good thing to do when we're thinking about money and movement, our finances and our future. And so rather than working really, really, really hard to plan our finances and our futures independent of God, as if we have secured the money all by ourselves, and we've allowed ourselves for the movement, the future. As if we are the ultimate provider in and the architect for our own lives, rather than working so hard to carry all that ourselves, we should really be accepting and affirming a truth that we read again and again And again, all throughout Scripture, right from Genesis, where you look at Cain and Abel, all the way through to Revelation, where we see elders casting crowns before the feet of the Lord. We should be accepting and affirming that that which we see all the way through Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, there are so many possible examples. Uh, One, for now, uh, from 1 Chronicles. Chapter 29, we read, O Lord, you are great, mighty, majestic, magnificent, glorious, and sovereign over all the sky and earth. You, Lord, have dominion and exalt yourself as the ruler of all. You are the source of wealth and honor. You rule over all. You possess strength and might to magnify and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your majestic name. But who am I? And who are my people 
that we should be in a position to contribute this much. Indeed, everything comes from you. And we have simply given back to you what's yours. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. We see God for who he is and what he has done for us and what he's given to us. And we see ourselves, how, how am I in a position to contribute so much time, talent, tithe back? It's because he's given it to you and he's, he's given it to us in the first place. And taking this attitude, committing to living out this truth, that all we have comes from God and it is right and it is good to give some back to him in gratitude it will change your life and absolutely guarantee that and I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt because it's changed my life as well it will change forever how you see your money and your movement so really really simply then for you and for me in our finance and our futures in our whole lives giving to God is good amen Let's stand and let's pray.